0: I want you to turn with me to uh, the book of Hebrews. Last week we talked about the heritage of the righteous. Talked about the fact that the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, you are not of the tribe that shrinks back. You're not of the people that shrink back. You you don't come from those kind of people. We are not the kind of people that run away from a fight. We're not the kind of people that slide back when it gets difficult or when it gets easy. We don't shrink back. We press forward by faith. And the Bible says that's your heritage. Those are the people you came from. The book of Isaiah says, look to the rock you were cut out of. Look to the quarry you were dug from. And You go, whoa, whoa." like made stone? Like where, where did I come from? And he goes, Look to Abraham, your father, and Sarah, who gave birth to you in pain. Look to them and see how they persevered. Because the Bible says that you are Abraham's descendants if you have the faith of Abraham. When you got born again, something happened. Your family tree changed. I'm a big family genealogist guy, I love family history. And I get a lot out of it. And T and I love talking about it, we love talking about it with our families. But I know something. My identity, who I am today, is way more shaped by who Jesus made me to be than my DNA that I got from my parents. That there is something in me that changed when I received Jesus. I became a new creation. You became a new creation. And so there's, you've just got to make the, the choice today that you're not going to let where you came from or who you came from define who you are right now. And when we hear that, we automatically think of people that came from a rough background because we think that's what's holding them back. But do you know that often it's the people who came from a pretty good background that they hold on to that identity more? They don't want to let it go because this made them special. This made them something. I have a name that matters here. And you can hang on to that and refuse to let go of it, and you don't take on the name that God gave you? I'm a family guy. I believe in family. You know, the same Jesus <laughs> Jesus said, you got to hate your father and mother if you want to follow me, and that's a weird thing to say. Like, that's one of those things that would get him canceled. <laughs> but he didn't mean you should hate them like you hate them, like you don't like them. What he was saying, because the context of it was there, was, there people were saying, you know, uh, I'd like to follow you, but I need to stay and work on the family farm. And he was like, I'm here for three years. You need to, this is priority. And when he said, hey, it, in our language, it, it doesn't make sense because it's love and hate are these extreme polar things. But in their language, it meant you need to love me more than you love them. You need to love me more than you love your, your parents. Well, that sounds like Jesus is telling you not to love your parents, but I'll tell you it's the opposite. If you love Jesus, you will have more love for your parents. Right. If you love Jesus, you'll have more love for your spouse. Mm-hmm. You know, I love Jesus more than I love my wife, but that means I can love my wife better than I ever could love her if she was number if she was the, the, the only thing I love or the only one I loved. That because I love Jesus, I have even more love for my wife. I could be a better husband. And you've got to believe that. And so Jesus said, you know, the same Jesus that said that also said. When he's talking to the Pharisees, he said, you've broken the commandment of God. You've not honored your father and mother because you're not taking care of them when they need you. So those two things can go together. Jesus is not telling you, don't worry about your family. Your family's nothing. In fact, the Bible says if you don't take care of your family, you're no better than a heathen. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a, a, a biblical imperative. There's God's command to love your, love your kids, to, to honor your father and mother, to ob- children, obey your parents and the Lord. God's not telling you not to do that, but he is telling you this. There is a new heritage that you've picked up. There's a new family that you've become a part of, and this is where your identity comes from. This is where your mission comes from. Before we get into Hebrews, I want you to read something with me in the book of Philippians. So today we're really going to talk about leaving the good for the much better. All right? You've got to build your life on something, and... and Really, when we're talking about the heritage that we have, I want you to know that this is the heritage you build on. You have a choice. You can build your life on the heritage someone else set up for you. You can build your life on other things that kind of came into play before you even were born. Or you can build your life on the heritage that God has given you. You can make that your foundation. Hebrews chapter 3, or sorry, Philippians chapter 3, forgive me. He says in verse 3, we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. What does that mean, put no confidence in the flesh? Does that mean they're vegetarians? (laughs) Just don't trust meat? No, put no confidence in the flesh means this. We don't put any confidence in the flesh in who we were before Jesus. Like, we don't put any confidence in the same things we used to put confidence in. He's specifically talking to people who their identity was based on their family line. Their identity was based on what they did on the outside. Their identity was based on whether they kept the rituals or not. And he said, we don't put any confidence in that. We put our confidence and glory in Christ. And he says this, he says we put no confidence in the flesh. Don't you find it interesting that he, he doesn't say we put less confidence in the flesh. We, we try to emphasize the spirit over the flesh. That's kind of how we would say it now. Like you're putting too much confidence in the flesh. You need to get your balance right. Put more confidence in the spirit. Now Paul just is, is straight up going to smack you in the face with it. We put no confidence in that. And listen to this although I myself could have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Paul is saying, if any of us could come here and say, we have a name, we have uh, uh, the bona fides, we have the certificates. If anyone here could brag about who they are in the flesh, Paul says, I could do it better than you all. He's not embarrassed to say that. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Now, that may not be a big deal to you. It was a big deal to the people he was talking to. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the nation of Israel. He says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. So he's like, you can't beat me on this. I mean, when it came to who kept the Torah better, I was part of the elites, when it came to who had the most zeal for God, I, I went and put people in jail and kill people for God. Like, I mean, you know, beat that. P.S., don't do that. Because <laughs> when Paul met Jesus, he had to repent for that. That wasn't God. But he's saying, I had zeal. Look at me. I was, I was the attack dog. I had all the zeal in the world. He said... As to righteousness, which is in the law. He he means if if you're judging my righteousness based on how good I kept the rules, I kept them better than everybody else, I was found blameless. I was found blameless. I kept the rules perfectly. He says in verse 7, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now let's just hear this. I have counted them loss. What does he mean by counting it? He means I had to make my mind up what those things mean to me. I had to choose that they meant nothing to me. I considered them, I, I made up my mind, that this is how I was going to think about those things. They're not important they're not what makes me who I am. They're not what makes me unique, they're not what makes me special, they're not what makes me important. None of these things. I count them as lost. I have considered them as nothing. He says, "I have counted them as lost for the sake of Christ." Then he goes on to say in verse 8, "More than that, so I'll push it further, I count all things all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. And rubbish is the nicest way you could translate this. Rubbish. (laughs) We're reading from the New American Standard, and the New American Standard feels like sometimes we need to become a proper English boy (laughs) when we start talking about things that happen in the bathroom or things that happen in the garbage dump. But literally... Depending on which translation you read, either he's talking about trash, but many of them would translate it as, he's talking about manure. Now, I said manure, but I know that you guys don't refer to it as manure when you do that. <laughs> so put whatever word you want on it, that's what it is. I've counted it as trash, as nothing, as, as garbage. As, it's stuff to be thrown out. I, it's nothing to me. I count all things to be lost in view. Now, here's the thing. And this is what we're really getting at today. I've said this before, but I'll say it again, that that many of us, we tell people, count the cost. You know, you got to count the cost of following Jesus. And you should say that that's something that Jesus said. But do you know that you really can't count the cost of something until you know the value of something? Right. Right? See, I mean... I've used this example, so forgive me for repeating myself, but many of you have really, some of you guys work in the, the, the rigs and you got a nice truck, and, you know, sometimes your company provides that truck, but then sometimes you get your own truck. And I've talked to a lot of guys that are like, you got to see my truck, check it out. And, and, and they they got it maxed out, they've got the lift kit, they got whatever they want, whatever you want. But I have never heard one of those guys go, you know what, I got robbed. I had to give these people this, this many dollars. I had to give them this money, and they gave me this piece of metal. Not one of them. And some of them spent more on that car than some of us make in a year. But they don't go, oh, I'm out this amount of money. They're just like, check on my truck. Why? Because that truck to them has so much value that the money they spent on it wasn't the important part. They're like, look what I got, right? That it was worth the money. It was worth the money because it had the value. Yeah. Now, I, let's all just say, we shouldn't put the value on material things above spiritual things. I get that, but just trying to make a point that, that you, when you value something, you don't complain about the cost. Yeah. It's true. I mean, still, some of you moms will talk about how bad the labor was. <laughs> and I, I'm not saying that in any way. <laughs> that that's bad. I know it was rough. Um, but no, I've never heard a, a woman say, and maybe I'm just hanging out with the right people, but I've never heard a woman say, can you believe I had to go through that for this? <laughs> 36 hours I spent for this? <laughs> Not only that, but he eats my food. Look at, look at this thing. No, nobody. He, we have birthdays. Every year, on the anniversary of the great pain you went through, we have a party. We have a party to celebrate your hours and hours of pain. And you know what? Not one of you puts that on the cake. You don't put Happy Labor Day. You don't. It's not a day of sorrow where you all sit in the room and grieve. You celebrate. Why? Because you said that kid was worth it. So every day on the anniversary, you don't think about the pain, you think about the life that was given, and you celebrate it. So really, we 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 say this like following Jesus, he's just gotta suffer a lot. Oh, I gotta count it as loss. Count the cost when you follow Jesus. It's hard to be a Christian. Look what you're getting. You're gaining Christ. Why are we complaining? If anybody got the raw end of the deal, it's him, not us. Come on! It's like, oh, you guys, oh, Somebody called your name at school? Well, that makes my whipping, beating, public execution on a cross it makes it seem like nothing, doesn't it? Someone unfollowed you on Facebook. Oh my goodness I don't know what to do with that. I'm so sorry. No, we we look at the value we got. So look what he says. Here's how I'm able to count it as loss. Here's how I do it. You don't say, well, I'm a Christian. I guess this is what Christians do. No, 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 no. He says, in view. Now, how is something going to be in your view if you don't look at it? How is something going to be in your view if you're not paying attention to it? Look at this. This is what you're supposed to be looking at. The surpassing value. Do you know what surpassing means? means I can't come up with a number for it it's too much value to even put a value on it is a surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I've suffered the loss of all things what does he mean he means I was respected in my community I'm not respected anymore he means I had a good job those people don't want me around anymore he's saying you know my family liked me they don't like me anymore the, the things that he thought made him important, listen, he was on the fast track to be the next big name. Even by the time that Stephen was executed, Saul was respected in that community enough that he was seen as a leader. And all, that all went away, and he, he's not complaining about it. He's not whining about it. He says, I gave it all up because I traded it in for something so much better. That's right. The surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When you are looking at Jesus, and you, and you know the value of him, nothing, nothing, nothing is bigger than that. And there's nothing that anyone could take from you that really, really, really hurts you. Because at the end of the day, if you have him, you have everything. And he says this, I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Some of you have some really, really big things to brag about, whether it's your education or your accomplishments in the past of the family you come from. When we were, when the upgrader was first built, they uh, took us on a tour. And I was just a kid, and, and, and my mom and my dad and my sister sat behind me on the bus seat, and they sat in a seat of three. And, and as was the way... Jonathan sits by himself. That's not the way it always was, I'm just joking. I was a little older so I could sit by myself. So I was sitting by myself, but I actually ended up sitting next to this older man. And this guy is Mr. Talky Talky. And I was Mr. I'm, I don't know you, so let's just look ahead, right? Let's look straight ahead. But he was talking, he was asking me questions. I don't know who this old guy is. He's really friendly, he's really nice, and he seems to want to know about me. Okay, so I start talking to this guy. I'm still a little uncomfortable because I don't know you. But anyways, the bus starts moving, and the tour guide says, before we start, I just want to recognize somebody on this bus that's very important to this community. Mr. Bud Miller, will you stand up? And I go, Bud Miller's a person? (laughs) Really? This whole time, I just, and I turn, and it's the old man who was talking to me the whole time. I go, I met Bud Miller. he had a name. He had a name that mattered, right? He had a name that sounded like two beer companies got married, but he had a name, right? He had a name. And Bud Miller's sitting next to me, and that matters. Can you imagine If you're the Apostle Paul and your name means something and people pull out a chair for you and people give you the best table and and, and people, you know, nod their head at you when you pass by and all of a sudden all that goes away. He said, I had to do that. I had to let go of that so that I could gain something better. So that I may gain Christ. And I want to tell you today that that following Jesus is a lot of choices. It's a lot of choices of leaving something that seems good for obtaining something that is much better. Because what you think is good doesn't have near the value of what he's offering. He says, I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now turn to Hebrews, 10, uh, Hebrews 11 with me. We left off last week reading some of these stories. We read Hebrews 10 at the end and we're reading these, these triumphs of faith as my Bible puts it in Hebrews 11. But he says, by faith... He says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men and women of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he's dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his house, and it said for the household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. You know, Noah had to give up his standing in his community because when you build a giant boat where there's no water, you look like an idiot. And he endured the reproach and the shame that people put on him. And he said, I'm doing this because God, it says he did it out of reverence. Mm -hmm. We talked about this on Wednesday night. Reverence is the fear of the Lord. Reverence is saying I care more about God's opinion than your opinion. So he had to leave what people thought of him and embrace what God thinks of me. I saw a preacher uh, some years back. And he was a well-known preacher, and he was being grilled by a TV uh, host. And they were saying, like, how, you know, it's 2019. How could you believe this? And, and, and don't you think this would be okay? Don't you think times are changed? Don't you think? And they were trying to get him to shift his stance. And he wasn't a radical, hard-line guy. He was a very well-accepted, well-respected man who was simply saying, I believe the Bible. And on this issue and every issue, I believe the Bible. And they said, aren't you afraid that that's going to make you irrelevant in our community? Aren't you afraid that that somehow people are going to see you as a fringe guy? And he said, well, I might be, but I care more about pleasing God than pleasing you. He says, and I fear his displeasure more than I fear your displeasure. That's what Noah said in reverence. In reverence, he built an ark because he cared more about what God thought. It says in verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. People think he's just some young guy setting out. He's an older guy who has an inheritance, who has land, who has connections, who has respect in his community. He left everything. He just left it. Left family, left friends, left land, left house, left job, left it. Not knowing where he was going. And this is what it says. He obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. He's trusting God. You have something better for me. And it says, by faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking, For the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He was looking for something better. And This is what, as believers, this is what we're getting at. You've got to build just your life on something, and you already have a foundation that the world gave you. You have a foundation that your parents gave you, or you have a foundation that your education gave you, or you have a foundation that your friend group gave you, or you have a foundation that just life seemed to put in front of you, and you can build on that foundation, but it is shaky. And it won't last. It's temporary. What I'm asking you right now is, are you willing to leave the good for the much, much better? The book of Hebrews says this. The book of Hebrews is all about, if you read it from cover to cover, this letter is all about that was good, this is better. It's talking about how the angels, they're great. But Christ, it says Jesus has obtained a better name than them. That's right. You know, in Philippians, I didn't read that, but later, you know, in another spot in Philippians, it said that Jesus emptied himself and took on the form. He emptied himself of everything that he could have, he could have said, you know, I'm God, I live in the heavens, I, I do what I want, you know, this is wonderful, I'm not restricted to time, I don't have to go to the bathroom, all of these things. And it says he emptied himself of all of those things and became a man just like us. And it says he not just became a man, but he became a slave became a, a bondservant and he took on that form of a bondservant it says that he, he went so far without obedience that he even went to the cross and died. But then he was risen. He was raised from the dead and it says now he has been given a name. God gave him a name. Do you realize that, that God gave him a name? He obtained a better name. And it says here that Abraham's looking for something better. And uh, let's keep reading because this, it backs it up here. It says, by faith, well, let's read that verse again, verse nine. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promises, in a foreign land, dwelling in tents. You know, the Bible says that Abraham had a lot of gold, had a lot of cattle, had a lot of money. The Bible actually says that. It says Abraham was rich in land and cattle and all these things. If he had wanted to get a nice house in the city, he could have. Well, he lived in a tent. Now, I don't know if you've been glamping. You've been glamping? None of the men here want to admit that they've ever been glamping if they ever have. It's something your wife makes you do at some point in life, I think. I've never been glamping. We go camping every year. My wife and my son are troopers. Even when the tent blew over on its side, we went camping. But uh, Tia, would you like to do that for the rest of your life? No, it's fine for a week. We don't want to live in tents for the rest of our life. Abraham had the option not to. There were cities he could have moved to. He had the money. He had the resources. He chose to live in a tent so he could be where God put him. He gave up the good for much better. It says this, By faith, Even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and as innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith without receiving the promises but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That's the heritage they chose. Nobody chooses to be an alien or a stranger unless there's something far better. They chose to live as aliens. They could have fit in, guys. They could have fit in. They chose a life of a stranger. You can fit in today. You could fit into Canadian society. You can do and say all the things everybody wants you to say. You can choose that heritage. You can choose that identity. Or you can choose something better. What are you looking for? What's the value to you? Is it valuable to you to be respected in your community? Because you know what, many Christians in this room are respected. God gave you favor. You're respected because you've let you you ran a good business. You're good people. But the day may come when, in order to choose Jesus, someone disrespects you. The day may come where community doesn't respect you anymore. And if that happens, is that lost to you, or have you gained something better? Verse 14, for those who say such things, oh, I love this, make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. Those that say things like that make it clear they're seeking something better. And it says, and indeed, if they'd been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Now, what country, what are we talking about when we talk about country? You're talking about a place you belong. What is a country but a group of people have something in common, right? A nation. And he says they, they could have, we're talking about land, but we're also talking about people. And he says they could have said, you know, mm, it's important to me that I, I respect it. It's important to me that I have these connections. But they said there's something better God's offering us. So, so we're, we're not looking for this country. We're looking for a better one. We're looking for a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I love that in verse 15 it says, if they'd been thinking about where they came from, they could have gone back. At some point in our lives, we have to stop reminiscing for the good old days, and we need to say, God, what do you have for me ahead of me? What he has is so much better. What he has is so much richer. What do you have? I can't. You know, the Israelites were whipped, beaten slaves in Egypt, and yet they wanted to go back. When it got hard, they wanted to go back. See, your memory cleans things up, doesn't it? Your memory has this great little feature so that you don't suffer trauma every time you think of something, and it just kind of wipes things off. They they, they were slaves, they were being whipped, they were being beaten, they were crying out to God. The Bible says they were so low in spirit, they couldn't even hope to be delivered. They finally leave, and they spend just a couple years out here, and then they say, you guys remember the garlic? Literally, it's in the Bible. Do you remember the garlic? Do you remember the stew, the meat stew? Do you remember the leeks and the onions? And do you remember the whip on your back? but we miss the food in Egypt. Listen, there's not a restaurant good enough in the world for me to say, yeah, I'll be a slave as long as I can eat pizza. (laughs) The Israelites started to, because they start to reminisce. It says, if these guys had kept thinking about where they came from, they would have had opportunity to go back. This is what I want you to hear. You have to keep your eyes ahead Keep your eyes looking at Jesus. Keep your eyes on the city that he's built. Keep your eyes on the name he's given. Keep your eyes on your, your heritage in him. Keep your eyes on those things because if you start looking backwards all the time, you know what? An opportunity will present itself for you to go back. Mm-hmm. Start, remember how much fun you had partying. You forgot it took you years to get past addiction, but oh, I had fun partying. You know what's going to happen? Someone's going to show up at your door and invite you to go with them. Yeah. Somebody's gonna show at your door with a bottle of whiskey and say, why don't we just, just for old times sake. You left a job because you believed God was calling you to do this and maybe the job you left was high paying but God told you to do this. At the time, you thought it was a great idea. But then bills started coming in. Kids needed clothes for school. And you start missing that giant paycheck you had at the old job that kept you away from your family all the time. You never got to go to church. You never got to see your kids. But boy, did we have a paycheck. And the more you think about it, the more it's attractive to just put a resume out there where God told you to leave. If you keep thinking about what you left behind, you'll always have an opportunity to go back. You've got to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. That's what these people did. We're not even start to talk about, he he goes on and he talks about Moses. He says, Moses, by faith, left the palace of the Egyptians and chose to live with the slaves, chose to live with the people of God, chose to bear the reproach and the sufferings of the people of God rather than the pleasures of sin. I want you to know that life is about choices. It's about calculation. It's about saying, what's worth more in my life? And Paul had to say everything I brought to the table, my doctorate, my family lineage, my good things I've done. You know, in our culture, when we talk about that verse where he wrote, where he wrote, right after the part we read, he goes on and he writes, "So forgetting the things that lie behind me, I press forward." to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We usually quote that verse to people that are trying hard to forget their past. But you know what to Paul, the stuff he had to leave behind was not a bunch of terrible things he's trying to forget. It was a lot of things that he used to think were really good that made him something. He said, I had to forget... Yeah, you got to forget the you got to forget the bad, you got to forget the things that are under the blood of Jesus. You got to forget the hurt, you got to forget all that. You got to move past, you got to move forward. But listen, guys, we have to forget all the things we thought we did so well. That's right. That really was just us building our name. Pick up his name. Yeah, knowing him is so much better. I I could tell you there's Jesus said to his disciples, nobody who gave up a family or a house or a farm for me in this life. He said, I, "He said anybody that's done that, I'm going to pay him back in this life and in the age to come eternal life. He said, I'll pay you back. But when you give that up, you don't feel like it. People had to choose it was worth more to follow Jesus than to keep my farm. Tough. I want you to just, rather than focusing on the cost, the cost is not the first thing you should focus on the value is the first thing you focus on friends any cost will seem small if you know the value of Jesus and I want you to make your decisions always make a decision based on the things of God I tell people all the time never make a major life decision based on money money comes and goes money won't always be there always obey the word of the Lord Always, and you know what? The people that do that, God just takes care of them. That's right. You have got to make your choices now. Make your choices when it's easy to make those choices, right? Make them when it make them when you say, "Well, I haven't faced that. I don't have those big life decisions." Good. Start living your life this way now. Make it with small things, and then when the big things come, you'll already have developed a way of of making your decisions in your life. But I want to tell you, it's about leaving something good for something much better. You have got to say, I choose to identify my name, my heritage is based on who he made me to be, what he calls me. He called me out of darkness and into light, and so I choose to glory, to brag, to boast in Christ. I don't brag about who I used to be. I don't boast about that. I boast in Christ. And guys, God is going to give you opportunities where you're going to have a fork in the road. And it's the best thing in the world. Because at that fork in the road that everybody else sees as a tough decision, what you see is, do I follow Jesus or do I follow something that's temporary and not going to last? Always choose Jesus. Praise God. What a heritage we have. You know, it goes on and talks about these people and it says they are men and women that the world was not worthy of. Yes. Hallelujah. Our culture makes these superheroes. We like superheroes, we like exceptional people. And so when we have a group like this that's gathered in a church, we say maybe one or two of them is a superhero, every else is normal. But every single person here that's received Jesus as your Lord, you've made him your Lord, you've taken on his name, every single one of you has been made a new creation in Christ and carries the spirit of God within you, carries the destiny that God has put in you, carries carries the name of Jesus, bears his name, bears his image. I mean, come on, guys, there's not one of us here that's meant to be normal. Not one of us is meant to be normal. Not one of us is meant to be mediocre. And, and maybe, I'm not saying that you need to, all, everybody needs to do things that seem extraordinary. Maybe, maybe what God has called you to seems normal to everybody else, but you're doing it in a supernatural way. We need people doing ordinary things in a supernatural way. Because there's nothing ordinary about it. It's Supernatural. So guys, don't reserve it for those, those stories of the Billy Grahams of the world that, oh, they made the hard decisions so they could do great things for God. We're all going to do great things for God That's together. Right. That's right. Amen? That's why we all need to make these choices together. Not one of us falls behind. Not one of us falls short of what God has in front of us. Yeah. I encourage you to go back and read Hebrews 11. Then keep going to Hebrews 12 because it talks about the race. Yeah. Then it talks about how we hold each other in that race, how we keep each other going. I so love this church. I love you guys. I want you to stand with me today and we're going to choose the better. We're going to choose the better.